Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series. Uncovering God in the creative arts. At the biggest international arts festival in the world, Sanctuary First stops to ask, where does faith and art meet? to Faith at the Fringe and to this uh, Sanctuary First podcast series. I'm Albert Bogle and I'm joined today with my colleague Nikki Kirkland. And uh, Nikki is a parish minister, no, but you're a locally ordained or, minister. Ordained local minister. minister yes. yes, in St Nicholas in Sight Hill. That's right. But in another part of your life, because you, you're a tent maker kind of minister, <laughs> like the Apostle Paul, you are um, a designer and yeah, self-employed, self-employed designer. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an artistic flavour in all of the work that you do, and as you bring maybe that to your ministry as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and of course, today we're going to be looking at uh, and thinking about Leonard Cohen's work, and we're delighted to have with us Stuart Diaretta, who is uh, performing. Cohen's work under the title My Leonard Cohen. So we're going to be interesting to see how Stuart interprets Leonard Cohen and what he has drawn out of Leonard Cohen's uh, back catalogue, you might say, and how he presents that on the stage. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Leonard Cohen, he, of course, is a famous poet, novelist and songwriter, and Stuart might tell us a little bit more about that. So let's just go into it. Stuart, what drew you to Leonard Cohen? Well, um, it's his songwriting, um, particularly, and because also by the nature of my voice, I have a kind of a gravelly voice, and it kind of suits Leonard's work. But you've got to look at his songwriting, which is extremely, extremely brilliant. I mean, he attacks the spiritual, the sensual. He has a go at religion. He has ob- he's a man who's been troubled in his past. I mean, he suffered from depression most of his life. In fact... It was only about the age of 66, 67 that he relieved, got, got rid of the black dog. And mm. that was, weirdly enough, when he visited for a year a Hindu philosopher in Mumbai called Ramesh Bulsakar. So here's a man, born Jewish, his grandfather's a rabbi, troubled, tried so many different areas of enlightenment in his path, even tried Scientology for a heartbeat, trying to find that pathway to God. And uh, if I, could, I, I suppose you can imagine being brought up in the Orthodox Jewish religion, that would be a t- difficult route. The thing I found really interesting, though, was um, one of the things I was reading, um, that he never strayed from his Judi- uh, Jewish faith. He always felt that everything else that he looked at expanded on that and, and sort of deepened his Jewish faith, but just was a really good way to explore that. Do you find that yourself? I think, yeah, that's it. And I noticed that with a lot of Jewish people. Um, they still do the Shabbat on Friday night, which is a beautiful tradition of getting the family together and having dinner, and they read from the Torah, and it's one of those wonderful traditions which has been lost somewhat in the Christian religions. And uh, so, yes, he always paid great homage to his roots as a Jew. And, uh, but he did end up being ordained as a Buddhist monk. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, the faith is a very difficult path sometimes. I just read this book called by Sam Harris 
called species. And he said, there's no empirical ev evidence that a soul exists. And I was thinking to myself, well, what kind of empirical evidence would you want for a soul to exist? I mean, it's hard to, you know, you can't actually physically touch. You can't see it. There's nothing you can measure it by. It's something that is relies totally on the concept of faith. Also, I suppose, as you have thirst, as you have hunger, as you have sexual desire, you have also a spiritual desire which is innate in the human being. And as all the other three earlier ones are given an, you know, a, an object, I think in relationship to the spiritual, there is also an object. And also I've actually been gifted when I was once, I lost my son once, I lost a son. He died, I lived for a day. And of course that set me on a kind of a spiritual path which questioned all my Christian beliefs. And um, also the whole concept of death. And I ended up uh, somehow involved with a woman called Guru Mai, who was uh, kind of a Hindu guru. And um, so I had what is called a Kundalini experience, which I believe is quite rare. And I wasn't one who was searching for one. You understand that I'm in the rock and roll industry. So I, it was in 1989, and I had, I've been pretty decadent with consuming enormous amounts of alcohol and uh, various other substances, which were not what you might say the path to enlightenment. But um, I was advised by my wife at the time to um, go to this uh, ashram. I go to this ashram. I'm only there for two days. On the second day after getting up at five o'clock and doing what they call a server, I was sitting in this temple, sitting on my bum, cross-legged, and uh, trying to pick up the chanting next to me of this guy who syllabic content, when suddenly this electricity charge started at the bottom of my spine, started like a circle and then it wrapped itself up my spine like the medical symbol and shot out my head like a shotgun. It's like a guy had put a shotgun at the bottom of my ass and went whooshka out my head. And I thought, what the hell was that? Then I asked, asked this Indian chap, he said, oh, you've had the Kundalini experience. You are very lucky. You are very, it releases a shock to pot inside you. Well, I don't know what it released inside me, but I gotta tell you, there and then I realized there's a force inside me that I have no understanding of. And I reckon if Sam Harris, who wrote Species, would have undergone the same experience, he would have questioned his need for empirical evidence of there being a soul. You know, Stuart, <laughs> what you're describing there reminds me of, you know, the Pentecost experience, you know, of, the, the, the presence, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah. And as Christians, that becomes the key that defines us. The Apostle Paul says, if we don't have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ within us, then we, 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 we can't really call ourselves Christians. And so maybe what you're engaging with there and encountering 
could very well be an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God uh, as a Christian, and that may, will, you know, will then influence maybe how you feel and how how you progress and how this spiritual journey has progressed for you. I wonder, is there a connection there? Do you think? Well, you are drawing the connection, not me. I mean, I went there as just an individual with no kind of you know spiritual. Oh, look, if anything, I'm a lapsed Catholic. Catholicism has been a very hard religion for me to keep in. You know, keep. How do I say? I can't hardly call myself a Catholic. I believe in the teachings of Jesus, and the principal one is, "Don't do unto others as you would do unto yourself." Basically, treat everyone with a great degree of respect, and that is from the beggar in the street to the, you know, the politician or whatever the case may be, and uh, and wealth and money are not important in life. What is important in life is the joy that you have and you carry in your soul. And that, of course, let's be frank, having some money in your life makes it much easier to be poorer. (laughs) But you know, I think, Stuart, you hit on something there. Cohen, in an interview in 1993, BBC interview, he talked about himself and he said, I'm the little Jew who wrote the Bible. And then he goes on to say, He showed an interest in Jesus as a universal figure. And he said this, I'm very fond of Jesus Christ. He may be the most, um, the most beautiful guy who ever walked the face of this earth. Any guy who says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, has got to be a figure of unparalleled generosity and insight and madness. A man who declared himself to stand among the thieves, the prostitutes and the homeless. His position cannot be comprehended. It is an inhuman generosity, a generosity that would overthrow the world if it was embraced because nothing could weather that compassion. And you know, I think the That's problem... That's beautiful, with institu- isn't it? Isn't that brilliant? That's pretty damn isn't brilliant. Brilliant. And institutionalised churches, we have lost the power of the Jesus of Nazareth. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're trying to do is come here with faith at the fringe and connect with people like yourself who are journeying and exploring faith and trying to say to people, we need to get rid of some of the nonsense, all the institutionalized stuff that stops people from seeing Jesus. And that's what we're, I'm really interested in this conversation with you because you're getting it right back, pairing it right back to the basics and you're saying, this is what I think Christianity is about, something deeper. And it's about a relationship, I think, with Jesus. It's interesting. And Cohen begins to see that. And it's an interesting quote also that came to my mind was, was that Mahatma Gandhi said that he, he, he might have been a Christian if it hadn't been for the church. If it hadn't been for the church. <laughs> <laughs> he said that, did yeah. he? Oh, my God. And, you know, it's... There's a real link there, isn't there, to thinking about that? Well, then again, you know, the Hindu religion, he was a Hindu. I mean, that is fraught with, uh, I mean, so many gods and so many temples. I mean, if you go to India or any other Hindu uh, established country, it's riddled with uh, all that tribulation and ritual. So, I mean, I, I question that, uh, that line of thinking. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> this is one question that I have for you both. Understanding that humility and being humble is one of the most fundamental principles of being a a Christian. Why is it you do we think 
that God needs to be worshipped. <clears throat> if he's, if humility is seen as the key factor of a God. That, you know, that's a great question. And can I... Well, I've often wondered about that myself. You know, <laughs> I love these questions. I often wonder about that. You know that, that, that hymn that says, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring, ransom, healed, restore, forgiven. Who like me is patient? Why does God deserve praise? And I hear God saying, You've got it wrong, son. I want you to worship me because it's good for you. Not for me. It's good for you, not for me. And you know, I'm reminded of my little. How's it good for me? Let me tell you, my little granddaughter comes to me with her pictures. She says, Pop, I made this for you. And I take it and I say, Martha, or I say to Sophia, or I say to Imogen, it's brilliant. And, and it's drawing out from her her love. And it's, it's good for her to love. And it's good for her to be involved in that offering because it's building that relationship that God has made us out of love because he loves us. And he loves to hear us coming to him and saying, Father, I love you. And I love my children, my grandchildren saying, Pop, I love you. Because it's a relationship. Yeah. And, and I think this is what this is all about. We are made, we're made, Stuart, for relationships. And because God has made us this whole idea of Trinity, we talk as Christians, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a community, a commune, three persons in one, but in community, living in community and sharing in community. And the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Son saying, everything I do is for the Father. And the Spirit saying, don't look at me, look at the Son. And that's the whole humility thing. So I think for me, it's a wonderful question, and it's not the complete answer, Stuart, I've given you, because I don't well, it's have... it's a damn good one. But, but, <laughs> yes, but I don't have the complete... I think it's a good one. I like I it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I don't... Exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a journey, Stuart, for you to pick up on. Write a song about it. Think about it. But that's the journey, and that's the beauty of this kind of podcast. I, we want to have this dialogue with artists like yourself who are picking up some of these things like... Depression, isolation, death. Who's who's got the balls to do that? You know, and so often within churches, we don't, we're not talking about these things at all. Mm -hmm. And people want to hear people want to hear things that's about their everyday life because you know what? It's hard living today. It's not easy. No, it's not. And in, particularly in the world we're living in today, I mean, it's never been more troublesome. I think you know, with this, with this chap Putin. You know, I mean. It's hard to believe that one person, just one... I mean, there was in the 1930s Adolf Hitler. He created mayhem throughout the whole world. But the same thing is happening today with one person. And you would have thought mm. with history that we would have learned from that lesson. But it seems that's not the case. So how do you feel then that what you do with your music and your creativity then is a way of, for you to address these things? Do you, do you feel at all that it no, gives you a release or no. a way to process it? No. No, I don't. I mean, it's, that's beyond my capability. You know, it's like a friend of mine said uh, once in an interview, oh, I'd like to write a song all about peace. You know, bring peace to the world. You can't do that. That's ridiculous. I mean, uh, the closest thing of a song about peace would be imagined by John Lennon, which is a fabulous song. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is my, my job 
is to give people an hour, an hour. Well, in this show, in this, in this particular incarnation at the assembly, I only get an hour. I want to lift people spiritually a bit. Hopefully, they walk out of the out of that one hour enlightened a little bit, but and have had they've had a good time, and that's what it's all about for me. Giving people a good time without, you know, I mean, as if I'm going to be able to create world peace, you know. I'm just a humble little guy, you know, playing his piano, singing tunes. I'm a troubadour, in essence. And, uh, you know. I, I love that humility there, Stuart, because you know something? Jesus said, blessed are the humble. And you're not trying to, you're not come here to say I'm a big star. You just come here to say I'm a troubadour. I'm oh, I wish I was songs. a big star. No, I'd have a full but, house every night. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but maybe, maybe, maybe you are in what you do. There's a, an integrity about it and, and, and an honesty about it. And I think also is for yourself part of it. It's, as I hear you talking, it's part of your own quest to discover know more about God and as, yeah, as it other is a, people's... You know, I mean, I must be honest with you. I mean, I mean, having this conversation with you today is enlightening me, particularly your answer with the concept of me asking for God's, you know, why does God need to be worshipped? That's really, really resonated with me because it is a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, you do that, but basically you get more back from it. I used to work with the homeless for a period of five years. I used to be a volunteer. And uh, people used to say to me, oh, you must, you know, get out of something out of that. I said, no, I hated it. I'd, bought, I'd go in and take a, take a homeless shelter from 8 o'clock at night till 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday night, once a fortnight. And how I got there was, was another story, but and I'd just uh, been separated from my wife, so I had these nights off and I was living by myself. So I thought, oh, I've got time up my sleeve, I'll do it. But it was an extremely difficult task. And although I had a lot of empathy for the people who uh, I was looking after, it was only 18 men. And some of them were had drug problems, but generally most of those guys were just guys who'd fallen over. Mm-hmm. It just got too much for them living in, um, in our society. And they'd be, instead of sleeping rough, they'd come for one night to this one shelter where they knew they were going to be protected. But, uh, was, uh, but I never really got anything out of that, you know. In fact, when the, when the shelter closed down, I was happy to see it closed down. And, and uh, of course, the, the Catholic Church sold it off to a university. <laughs> 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 Cardinal yeah. Pell, his name was. Yes, he sold it off. He saw, oh, there's, a, there's some money to be made here. <laughs> you know? and that's it. That, that's the thing about the Catholic Church, which it, I, had, I, I did the El Camino. I don't know if you know the El Camino. It's a walk in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I did that in 2012. And I had to come, come across this Spanish town where they had a huge cathedral, literally littered in gold, all the way through. The surrounding town is obviously really poor, but here's this cathedral absolutely adorned with gold and paintings and a, a magnificent edifice. And I kind of went, oh, gosh, you know, this is not... Jesus walked straight out of here and he walked into it. And then we walked down the road 
And then we came to this tiny little church. And I was walking with two other fellas and uh, and we had these little passports you get stamped. I yeah. said, why? And this place had passport stamp. And they had a Spanish priest there. And the church was the most humble church you could imagine. Didn't have a jolly thing on the wall. Mm. Not one bit of gold. Pretty basic walls. Just a little room with an altar, which was pretty ordinary altar as far as altars go. And the guys, and he didn't speak English. And uh, so he, he sat at the front of this altar and we all kind of, and two of the guys were kind of atheists, agnostic most probably more likely. And um, he, uh, he said a prayer for us. And that moved me so much more than that church we'd just come from. Mm. And, uh, and what you've just said initially about us trying to remove the institution from the connection with Jesus, that is a challenge for the church today. Exactly. And that's one of the key areas that we've been working in the Church of Scotland. We've been talking about the church without walls. And what we're trying to say is, you know, here's an interesting thing too. The Archbishop of Canterbury a few years ago, I was having a discussion with him, and he said, he said to me, he said, do you know what? There's a bit in the Bible where it says, behold, I set before you an open door you know, which no man will close. And it's, it's, the, it's the risen Christ speaking to the church. And the church tends to think the open door is the door into the church. But in actual fact, it's not. He's saying to the church, would you get out of your churches, go through the door into the world, and you'll meet me there. Mm-hmm. You'll meet me in the fringe. You'll meet me in some of the shows in the fringe. Do you know what? You'll meet me at Stuart's gig. <laughs> You'll meet me at my Leonard Cohen. So do you hear that, audience? Come to my gig and you'll meet Jesus. Yay! Well, maybe not in person, but, you know, in the spirit of him. Yeah. There's your next flyer sort you out for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put it on my flyer. Yeah. And <laughs> but all seriousness. Father Bogle said, come to the church and you'll see, you'll feel Jesus tonight. <laughs> Ten past six at the assembly ballroom. Yay! Absolutely. Here's the thing. <laughs> of all the songs that you sing, is there any particular song that touches you? I mean, I'm sure they, they all move you in some way, but are there, is there a particular song that maybe we could play for, the, for those listening today? That what might- songs did I give you? You gave us Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, Did I say, um, show me the place? There's also the one about the last dance. That's oh, it. that's a great song. The End of well, Love. Yeah. Do you know the story behind that song? You know, I, I know a little bit, but let's tell, tell our listeners oh, a little bit about it. Well, this it. song Mr. Cohen wrote, it says, Dance Me to the End of Love. Now, a lot of people play that at weddings and various joyous occasions. Yeah. But he wrote that song when he found out that Jewish string quartets were used to serenade fellow Jewish inmates of the concentration camps into the gas chambers. So here he is saying, let's dance. Dance to the end of love, to the end of our life, to the end of this time we've been on this planet as we go into our death. And um, it's, uh, so I actually... When I do that song, I give it a kind of a klezmer, which is a Jewish form of music. Uh-huh. Klezmer feeling gets frenetic towards the end. And, uh, yeah, there's that one. Is that all I gave you? 
think it was show me the place. I think it was show me the place. Because that is a very rever re revered song. He's saying, show me the place where you want your slave to go. Show me the place. I've forgotten. I don't know. Show me the place. Uh, I've forgotten that lyric because I'm not doing it at the show, unfortunately. Because my partner says people don't really connect with it. But it's a beautiful song. You show me the place where the word became the man. Mm. Now, what do you think that means? Where the word became the man. It's a, it's part of the Bible. It's a quote from John, from the prologue of John's Gospel. Yeah, the word, word became is flesh. The spirit the entering word became man flesh and dwelt among us. The spirit of God yeah. entering the concept of the living being, man. You know that fascinating thing about man. You know, they, we, we talk about evolution and all that. And, uh, of course, a lot of people believe that evolution is contrary to Christian belief. But I've always thought evolution works totally in, in hand with creationism. And I make the analogy of a game of snooker. Now, if you line up all your balls on a, on a snooker table and... And you line them each and shoot each ball in individually, one after the other. That's seen as a pretty good damn feat, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. But if you can shoot one ball and that ball hits all the other balls and they all go into the pockets, that is a much greater feat. And that, my friend, is evolution. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Can I just say one other thing? Talk about Dance Me to the End of Love. Yeah. Because we're, we're coming now to the probably the end of our podcast here. And it's been wonderful. I mean, we need to get you back again to do another another discussion. Or we need to meet up off, off mic sometime, Stuart, <laughs> and have a conversation. Because I think we've got a lot we could talk about. Come at the jam <laughs> session. Yeah, yeah but, OK. Yeah, but, but I'm here for another... I'm here till the 27th. But the interesting thing is, dance me to the end of love. Do you know the Apostle Paul said, love never ends. Love never ends. And there's an amazing thing because love is eternal. And you see, your son that you lost, your little boy, you love him. And the love that you have for him is eternal. Yeah. And Stuart, when you, your body dies, you don't die. And your memory and your love for your son lives on in love and in eternity. And that's a whole new area of understanding for the Christian perspective on love. Because how would we believe that? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He defeated death. Love defeats death. Love cannot, cannot destroy death. Death cannot destroy love. Mm. And so when Cohen has written, Dance Me to the End of Love, it's an eternal dance. There ain't no end. Mm, I love that. Isn't that wonderful? I might use that tonight. Good on you. Isn't Thank that you. wonderful? <laughs> 
So we come to the end of our podcast today. Yeah. And a huge thank you to Stuart for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you to you, to uh, Nikki, for coming into the hot seat. And uh, you're seeing this is your first podcast with yep. us. And it's great that you were able to be part of this and to share in this. One of the things we've been doing at these podcasts is we're aware that you've listened and you've been enjoying this podcast. We hope because you've listened to the end. We want to say thank you for taking time to be with us. And I think Stuart would like to say thank you, but also we want you to encourage you to go along and hear Stuart's show. So Stuart, would you just give us a little plug about where we can hear you, where we can come and see and be part of my sure. Leonard Cohen? Okay, tonight I'm playing, I play six nights a week. The only night I don't play is Wednesday night. And I play at 10 past six at the Assembly Ballroom in George Street. And the show goes for one hour. And then after that, I go to another theatre at 10 past nine in Nidri Street, which is just off the Royal Mall, to venue number nine. And I do a show on the fabulous music of Mr. Tom Waits. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Tommy Waits is a Catholic. <laughs> so I do Catholics and Jews. <laughs> well, what I was I'm looking for a Presbyterian I meant, right well, as well I speak. I meant to tell you, I meant to tell you, when you were telling me about your, your visit to the, the little plain chapel, yeah. I meant to say to you, Stuart, I think that was a Presbyterian Catholic unit. <laughs> <laughs> Presbyterians don't have a pope, do they? No, no. We we change we change our pope every year. Do you? Yeah, we have a moderator that we change every year. So, but you know, when I go up to um, oh, the, the assembly rooms right up the top there, the hall, is there? There's this statue of uh, is it Knox? Knox? Yeah. He looks like a formidable. I'm telling you, he's a formidable. He, but he looks bloody scary. Absolutely, but that's for another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Let me just say to thank you for listening and being part of our our podcast today. And one of the things we've been doing is just saying a blessing to bless you for being part of our podcast today, and also to bless everyone who's listening and part of the podcast here in the studio. So I want to just say to you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And by the way, that's a Jewish blessing. Thank you for joining us. And catch up with us in our next podcast. It's all about the giraffes that are around Edinburgh today. But until next time, God bless.